Hello and welcome to the What The Heck podcast, a show that looks at mysteries and the unexplained. I'm your host, Glenn. Every week I look at something unexplained, telling a story or describing it, then look at the theories surrounding it. I won't give you any answers, because I don't know them myself. I'll just give you what you need to decide for yourself. Research is done as academically as possible, and references will be given after the stories. This episode is a science episode, and this week we're looking at something that has astounded archaeologists since it was found. We're looking at the Baghdad Battery. The Voltic Pile, better known as the Battery, was invented in 1800 by Alessandro Volta. He had observed that when two dissimilar metal probes were placed on frog tissue, it would create an electrical current. He recreated this without living tissue by placing the metals into chemical solutions to create the charge. We know Volta because of the name for electrical potential. For his works in electricity, the name for electrical potential was named after him, and that's why volts are called what they are. But what if Volta wasn't the first person to discover how to create batteries? In 1938, German archaeologist Wilhelm Koenig described an item. It's unknown whether he actually found the item, or whether it was observed in a museum but we do believe that the item was discovered just outside of Baghdad. It was just a clay pot, but something strange was going on with it. The top of the pot had been broken off somehow, revealing the items inside of it. There was a copper cylinder inside the jar, and nestled inside the cylinder was an iron rod. Koenig himself was the one who posited that the item was a battery, publishing a paper on it in 1940. The Second World War was happening at the time, and nobody was able to follow up on the paper or investigate the artefact to give another opinion. After the hostilities ended, Willard Gray from the General Electric High Voltage Laboratory in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, tried to reproduce the jar. There were a couple of hurdles, though. Firstly, Gray had to try and add a lid to the jar. The original battery was believed to be 2,000 years old, so what could have been used to keep it sealed? Gray believed that it was asphalt. This idea confused me for a moment, so I did a little digging. It turns out that the earliest evidence we have of an asphalt road is from 625 BCE but it had been used by the ancient Mesopotamians as a way to waterproof baths and water tanks. Even the Phoenicians used it to waterproof their merchant ships. Asphalt wasn't an out-there theory for a stopper. By the time these reconstructions were done, Volta's batteries were well known. Gray knew that the battery wouldn't work without some kind of liquid. What he knew was that the liquid had to be filled with electrolytes. Any electrolytic liquid would do. Grape juice, coconut water, 
milk, orange juice, and even vinegar could be used to fill these jars. When Gray put some electrolyte solution into the jars and sealed them off, they registered a voltage between one and two. Fast forward to 2003 and the occupation of Iraq by US and British armed forces. The National Museum of Iraq was ransacked and somewhere between 14,000 and 15,000 artefacts were stolen, including the battery. That number of artefacts was roughly half of the ancient artefacts in the museum's collection. After years of searching, roughly 7,000 of those artefacts have been found. The Baghdad battery is not one of the recovered items though. It's likely that it, it had been sold on the black market, but nobody seems to know where it went. The loss of the item in 2003 caused the BBC to write an article lamenting the loss, ignoring the thousands of other artefacts that had disappeared, showing just how famous the battery was. Some people believe that it will show up at some point in an auction, only to be sold to a billionaire, which isn't too far of a stretch for the imagination. It wouldn't be the first time something like that has happened. The name for the artefact, the Baghdad Battery, isn't the only name for it. It's often called the Wilhelm Koenig Battery. Koenig himself would eventually go on to become the director of the National Museum of Iraq, but never really provided any details about where or how he came across the item. The general consensus is that it was found in Kajut Rabu, but the details are unclear. Even the date is unclear. Some people believe that the battery was discovered in 1936, and others think it was found in 1938. Some people even believe that it wasn't dug up by Koenig, but was found in the basement of the National Museum. One of the only things that isn't disputed is where the battery originally came from. It's believed that it came from somewhere near the ancient city of Tessaflon, located southeast of Baghdad. This actually causes more problems though. Tessaphon was the capital of both the Parthian and Sasanian Iranian empires. Koenig himself believed the battery was Parthian and dated it somewhere between 150 BCE and 223 CE. This is disputed by more modern archaeologists who believe it to be Sasanian. This would date the battery between 224 CE and 650 CE. Even still, the battery predates Volta's discovery by quite a significant amount of time. Koenig's theory of the artefact being a battery wasn't widely accepted right away. There are no records of the battery from ancient times, and the first person to discover it was the same person who theorised that it was a battery. Bear in mind, he would have known what creates a battery. So looking into the jar and seeing the two separate metals, each with different electrical potentials, may have given him the idea that it was a battery. To support this idea, the metals were slightly corroded, leading people to believe that an electrolyte solution was present inside the jar at one point. Further tests on the corrosion actually confirmed this, and it was suggested that either wine or vinegar were kept in the jar. This leaves just one question though. What was the battery used for? 
To this day, not much is really known about this mysterious jar. A lot has been speculated, but not a huge amount is definite. Now we've looked at the Baghdad battery and its history. Let's look at what the jar could be used for. Koenig theorised that it was used in gilding, which is the process of coating one metal in another. We do know that this was happening at the time in jewellery making, but with much more primitive methods. Koenig believed that the battery was developed to streamline the process in an early form of electroplating. This has been criticised since there's no evidence of the process during the time, or more importantly, afterwards. There is plenty of evidence of other methods though, especially evidence of mercury residue from the process. The main flaw of Koenig's theory was the power of the battery. We've already talked about how low the voltage was, and that low voltage means that it wouldn't be able to power very much. It just wouldn't be able to produce the required amperage for it. It certainly wouldn't be used for gilding. Some have said that adding wires to the battery would increase the voltage, and therefore the power output. But no wires have been found with the battery, and no evidence that ancient technology involved knowledge of how wires work. The biggest part of this is that the liquid would also need to be topped up which would be extremely difficult if the jar was actually topped with asphalt. Ultimately, the biggest problem with the theory of its use is that there are absolutely no mentions of the battery from the time or even afterwards. Surely such a technological advancement would have been noted down somewhere. Even if it wasn't noted down, it would still make sense for it to be used afterwards for its intended purpose. Other uses have been proposed for the battery though. It wasn't just Koenig who theorised what it was for. Ancient Greeks found that placing electric fish on their feet helped with pain relief, and this could have been used to replicate that elsewhere. Electricity in medicine is not a new idea, so it does make a little sense that it could be one of these. One theory suggests that the battery was embedded in a religious statue and set off. The idea for this is that it would electrify the air, giving worshippers a little buzz to make them believe that something otherworldly was going on. It was some sort of religious magic trick. Put the buzz in the air and the people will react. The same sort of thing happens nowadays when people go into rooms that are surrounded by electrical wiring. It creates an electromagnetic field that can mess with the brain. It's the complete opposite of a Faraday cage, which is designed to block such fields. Another theory for the jar's use is that it was one of many. The theory suggests that the jars were used to store sacred scrolls. Visually, the jar is similar to other examples of this nature from nearby sites such as Tigris. But the main part of this theory is that the jar was supposedly found in a place where many other jars have been found. The hypothesis for this suggests that the iron rod inside the jar would be used to wrap the scroll around, 
and the copper tube would serve as a holder for the wrapped scroll. The best part about this theory is that Koenig even mentioned these kinds of jars in his paper, saying that they were common finds at archaeological digs at the time. The corrosion on the metals inside the jar are believed to be the remnants of the scrolls inside that have long decomposed. Some people refuse to believe that the jar could be any form of battery. Although the times that this jar could have been created were highly advanced, none of the civilizations at the time had the same level of technological sophistication that we do today. A person named Spencer McDaniel firmly believes that the jar cannot be a battery due to the lack of archaeological evidence to back up the idea. They understand just how advanced the people of the time were, noting that they were building buildings that required technological sophistication and makes the point that if the battery theory is correct, it only proves that civilization only had a rudimentary grasp on electricity and weren't some technologically advanced people with electric lights in their houses. Even Mythbusters got involved in the mystery. They went into it with the hypothesis that the jar was used as a battery. Using the evidence of corrosion, they filled their jars with electrolytic fluids, but discovered that they could only output a negligible amount of voltage. They had to wire many of the jars together to get any real voltage to work with. What the Mythbusters neglected, though, was the history surrounding the jars. They looked at the theories, but didn't have much of an understanding of the historical context. Altogether, it was a nice experiment that explores one possibility for the jars, but it doesn't theorise much outside of the initial theory. Some believe this mystery to be quite simple. Gerhard Eggers said in 1996 that the container theory was more probable than the battery theory. He said that the idea of a power source was what is known as mystification by science, which was posited by Thurnshern in 1986. Eggers believes that believing in the power source hypothesis of the jar violates the idea of Occam's razor, which, put simply, suggests that the simplest answer is usually the correct one. What do you think? Is this mysterious jar from Iraq proof that ancient civilizations knew about and used electricity for something? Or is it just a misinterpretation of another artifact? Perhaps we'll find out when the jar resurfaces. The story from this episode came from an article from the Museum of Unnatural Mystery about the Baghdad Battery, a Discovery UK article called The Mystery of the Baghdad Battery, and a Virginia Asphalt Association article called The History of Asphalt. The theories from this episode came from the Discovery UK article and a Tales of Time Forgotten article by Spencer McDaniel called Debunking the So-Called Baghdad Battery. References for the episode and links to studies will be posted on social media for you to have a look at. Social media links are available using the link in the episode description. 
I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and I'm moving forwards with my plans to post short pieces of episodes on TikTok, as well as putting the episodes on YouTube, due to the fact that I have created all of the music that's been in this episode. I have a Patreon, but I'm still deciding what to post on it this season. There is a £3 tier if you want to support me anyway. The link to the Patreon is also on the link tree and as before, you're welcome to pledge more than £3 a month and I'll find something extra special for the people that do. My email address is also in the episode description if you want to send me spooky stories, unexplained events or even mysteries you want me to look at. If I get enough, I'll set up some listener episodes to read them. Please don't hesitate to email me if you have any corrections or issues with things that I've said. Once I've seen the email, I'll make sure to correct myself. This week's Creature Feature will be out on Saturday, and next week's episode will be out on Wednesday, January 25th. So hold on until then. <laughs>